Hi, this is Richard Watts, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. I'm joined on the line by my next guest for the morning from the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art, Senior Curator Annika Christensen joins us on the line. Annika, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Richard. Now, it's been really interesting over the last month watching the way that different galleries and art museums have been responding to the closures uh, created by... COVID-19 and trying to stop the spread of the virus. A lot of galleries have just gone, right, here's a whole bunch of digital stuff we already have in the archives, and chucked it up online. Acker's doing something a little bit different. You're decided to commission work. Tell us more. Yeah, so we've, I mean, among many initiatives, we've just launched um, the ACCA Open, which is a new kind of initiative where we're um, opening up an open call to artists, Australian artists, from all backgrounds, all practices, all career levels, and asking them to send us a proposal for a new work to be created. And really the only stipulation is that it needs to be presented on a digital platform. Um, and so there will be ultimately three artists that are selected that are given a grant of $8,000 um, as an artist and production fee to help realise the work, and that will be done together with the support of our curatorial team. Um, and for us, it was it was really a conversation that happened immediately kind of upon um, the closure of the gallery, like how are we going to continue our programs um, but in a way that was meaningful? And ACCA's mission really is to, to do art differently, and now more than ever we're having to kind of test that mission as we, as we work in a very different way um, and create Usually one of the things that I think we do well and one of the things that is um, very kind of sets ACRA apart from other institutions is commissioning. So at a time when a lot of artists were having their shows cancelled or postponed, we really wanted to be able to create opportunities for artists um, and to continue to, be, continue to be a platform really for artists. Now, with this kind of project, one of the things that intrigues me is initially when I heard about it, the, my mind immediately springs to, oh, presenting video work online, for example. But you're really hoping that artists will respond in a variety of ways across a variety of digital formats rather than certainly not excluding uh, video art. But you're hoping, I guess, to see kind of uh, a range of creative responses, everything from videos to apps, for example. Exactly, yeah. I'm really personally hoping it's something that we haven't even thought of yet. You know, we've sort of talked about it. You know, it could be a radio play, it could be an app, it could be a game. Um, it could it could really be anything, and that's why we're sort of encouraging artists from all practices to apply for this. So you may be a video artist and this is germane to your work, or you may be someone who works with new media and technology, but you equally might be a painter who's thinking about the challenge of how to present your work through a pixelated screen in a kind of meaningful way. So we're very, very open to the kinds of responses that we get um, and super excited to see where that might lead us. Now, in terms of the need for a project like this, part of it, I'm assuming, is to encourage artists to think about, document and respond to the time we live in, not necessarily in a, in a kind of direct manner, here is a, an artwork about COVID-19, but you do want artists to respond to the world around them. But is this also motivated by the fact that many artists have suddenly lost all income and this is a way that ACCA can help support uh, a number of artists in the coming months? 
That's that's definitely part of it. So, you know, we, we were aware that artists were really having kind of opportunities closing down and we wanted to continue to be able to, to support them in their practices. Um, and as well as the artists who are shortlisted and eventually will present their work, we also really wanted to encourage, you know, artists to apply in an open call model so that it um, maybe gave them something to do or something to, to hope towards. So in creating their proposals, that's, that's you know, putting meaningful kind of thought onto paper at a time when maybe they have some more time on their hands. And, and if not now, um, being presented in this opportunity, it's also a great way as curators that we're seeing the work of artists and the ideas of artists at a time when through physical distancing, I can't get to galleries, I can't get to studio visits. So we're hoping to kind of create a conversation in that way. Um, and so as well as having ACA open as a sort of exhibition opportunity, it's also a really great um, research opportunity as curators and hopefully a productive experience for the artists who are putting their ideas down as well. Now, in terms of the outcome of this, as you said, there will be three artists or, or artistic collaborative teams selected and paid uh, $8,000 each for the project. Now, in terms of the selection criteria for that, given everything I know about ACCA, one of the things I'm assuming is that you don't want, just want this to be an innovative and provocative and potent artwork, you want it to extend an artist's practice in some way as well, to, to challenge the artist's own means and uh, methods of creativity. Absolutely. So that is one of the selection criteria, which is to being a, the potential to develop an artist's practice in new ways. And I guess that speaks to what I was sort of alluding to before with, you know, it might be a painter that applies and they've never before thought of presenting their work in this format. Um, so essentially we're just, um, you know, as a contemporary art exhibition, as a, sorry, a contemporary art centre, um, we're always hoping to look at new directions, tendencies, currencies within art. And I think this particular crisis um, will shift contemporary art dramatically in ways that we can't foresee just yet. But hopefully the silver lining is that it's also going to generate some potential. So even in talking about digital commissions for ACCA, although this is a new initiative, it is a conversation that we've been having for a really long time. And this sort of pause that, that COVID-19 has um, you know, created in our regular programming has kind of given us the impetus to do that. So this is hopefully something that we'll do on an ongoing basis as part of our mission to present work beyond our gallery work. Um, and, you know, so this project will probably serve as a legacy of that time and then in the future that will continue to kind of generate in new and different ways. Now, at the start of this conversation, I mentioned that a lot of galleries, their immediate response to closure has just been to say, let's kind of go through our digital archives and put up some video tours of, of previous exhibitions and so forth. Now, Obviously, over time, that response will become more nuanced. Uh, we're already seeing uh, kind of uh, new virtual tours being created and so forth. How is ACCA presenting both its own archives of previous exhibitions and other works online as well as part of this process of adapting to a world in which we are physically isolated but still seeking and indeed craving intellectual and artistic stimulation? Yeah, so I mean, ACCA's closure is something that fundamentally affects our entire team. So not just our curatorial work, but also our public programming, crucially our education programming, which was so sort of physically based in, in our artists, um, educators delivering programs to students, um, but also to our marketing team, to, to everyone, our front of house team, our gallery attendants, the way we all work. So independently, when um, we've all kind of come up with various ideas about how our departments might kind of respond to deliver our programs in a digital capacity, but also in a way that 
maintain kind of some integrity to our mission and that will be useful for a long period, so beyond this period of temporary closure. So we're doing a range of things in terms of public programs. We're um, launching um, some think tanks, which will be delivered by Zoom webinar. And so the first one that we've got is coming up on the 29th of April, and that's um, a program called Who's Afraid of Public Space, which is leading into a major exhibition that we're doing at the end of next year, so 2021 to 2022, which couldn't really be more timely um, given the current kind of situation that we're in. So that's a think tank that um, will happen online and then be later recorded for podcast. We've also got an annual lecture series, um, which we're in the second year of now, called Defining Moments, Exhibition Histories from 1968 to 1999. Um, And as part of that program, we've kind of invited seven esteemed artists, thinkers, curators and academics um, to deliver lectures about pivotal kind of exhibitions within Australian art history that have been game-changing in some way. Um, We're also engaging our gallery attendants in Sunday sessions, which was something they used to do regularly when we were open to the public and now will be delivered by Instagram stories. Um, And from the 24th of April, we'll be doing a fortnightly ACA quiz um, on Instagram because that was something that we do and continue to do by Zoom every day in our lunch break, um, which was just kind of a nice um, way of staying in touch in this time. And then our education team as well have a huge amount of resources that were launched last night and will continue to be um, um, uploaded online, which are artist-made workshops and making activities writing masterclasses and learning resources. So there's plenty of things um, in the works and already online and there'll be more things um, kind of put up there and broadcast as, as this closure goes on. For more information about the range of activities that the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art are running during this, this time of social isolation, physical distancing and COVID-19 closure, jump online. ACCA.Melbourne is the website for ACCA, the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art. And to return to the focus of our conversation, ACCA Open, the series for uh, the uh, of new digital commissions, the closing date for applications for that expressions of interest is Friday the 1st of May at 5pm. So artists have got a couple of weeks, but don't leave it to the last minute would be your advice, I'm guessing, Annika. Yeah, absolutely. And please feel free to contact us if you have any questions um, throughout that time as well. So, uh, as we said, ACCA Open, a series of digital works being commissioned by ACCA, the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art, uh, to be launched in August 2020. Uh, three artists or... or or combination of artists slash collaborative teams will each receive an artist and production fee of $8,000 for a project. And the idea is to encourage artists to create new and innovative works that can be presented in a digital format. So as we said, that doesn't just mean video art, it could be a range of works. Jump online, acca.melbourne, and you can see the call for Acca Open on the very front page when you jump on there. Annika Christensen is the Senior Curator at Acca, the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art. Uh, Annika, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me, Richard. Take care. All the best. Bye-bye. All right, bye. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. So, joining me on the line, my next guest, Sarah Lyons, who's Senior Education and Audience Engagement Officer out at Bunjil Place, which is located in Narrawarren. And it's nice to be able to talk about an art event that's not focused on the CBD and the inner city, but instead uh, is out in the city of Casey. It's the home of kind of arts and culture and entertainment for people living out on that side of town. Sarah, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Richard. Thanks so much for having me. Very great pleasure. Now, obviously, uh, because we're all trying to 
uh, kind of prevent the spread of COVID-19 and, and reduce the curve, the infection curve. Galleries and performing arts centres and venues across the country have closed. Bunjil Place is one of them. But you're kind of like many other places, you're also then pivoting to present work online with a digital project, Arts in Isolation, which is covering everything from... Uh, kind of virtual uh, presentations of an exhibition in the gallery through to workshops online. It sounds like you've all been very, very busy. <laughs> yeah, we really are. We are. We definitely are an extremely busy team over at Bunjil Place, that's for sure. Um, but for, yeah, for the listeners who aren't familiar with Bunjil Place, um, we, uh, we have a gallery, but we also have a theatre space as well um, on site and a beautiful plaza and um, outdoor screen. So our programming is super varied, which meant that, when it came to the time we had to close our doors, uh, we had this fantastic opportunity to create a digital program uh, that celebrated all the beautiful things about Bunjil Place, uh, the visual art, the performances and the screen content, but in a digital way. So, yeah, it's, it's an exciting time for us, actually, uh, sort of trialling this new, new way of doing things, this new program, uh, and something that I hope will continue into the future as well. Now, one of the things that's really interesting about, for me certainly, about Bunjil Place and its audience is the kind of cultural diversity of the audience you have out there. Uh, the, the city of Casey uh, is a very, very diverse uh, kind of uh, metropolitan area. That's reflected in your audience. Uh, I know that, for example, um, works for Asia Topa were being developed and presented out there to engage the, the local Indian diaspora community, for example. How are you reflecting that? community diversity in the Arts in Isolation digital project? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, our community is super diverse out in Casey. Um, I think we've got over 150 different languages spoken in the community. It's quite, it's beautiful and amazing. Um, so with our Arts in Isolation program that we're working on and um, have, are rolling out, we um, are working both for and with the community on this project. Um, so our beautiful exhibition up in the in Bunjil Place Gallery, uh, the new Black Fair, the new Black Vanguard photography between art and fashion um, presents uh, is curated by Antoine Sargent and touring from um, Aperture Gallery in New York City. But it presents um, a beautiful exhibition of photographs by talking about um, representations of of blackness. Um, of people of colour uh, through photography and through the emerging worlds of art and fashion. Um, so, yeah, so really working, presenting content um, that so our community feels like they're represented and can see themselves in the program um, through the gallery, um, but also, yeah, through our online workshops um, further down the track as well. So in terms of this kind of virtual guided tour of the exhibition, when was that developed? Was that something you were already planning uh, and have just gone, let's speed it up and put it on the website to showcase the exhibition? Or was it created specifically knowing that you were going to have to close your doors? Yeah, so we were actually in halfway through installing the new Black Vanguard when we were told that the building would be shutting to the public. So when we heard about that, we thought, great, this is a perfect opportunity for us to capture the exhibition digitally through a virtual tour. So that way our community can still have access to the show but on their own terms and um, from the comfort of their own homes while we're still in isolation. So, um, you know, it's something that we've explored previously with other exhibitions. We have done um, virtual tours, but it's just absolutely was a perfect opportunity with 
the new Black Vanguard. So um, we do have this beautiful exhibition installed and ready to go in the gallery at the moment. And, you know, we're crossing our fingers and our toes that we'll be able to open the doors to the public, uh, you know, sometime in the future for everyone to see it. But in the in the meantime, um, yeah, we've got this beautiful uh, virtual tour that the community can enjoy um, viewing the work, which, you know, it's quite, it's pretty high tech. It's quite amazing, actually. I was super impressed by the quality of it, too. So if people, uh, as we're talking, if people want to jump online, mm. www.bunjilplace, B-U-N-J-I-L, bunjilplace.com.au uh, forward slash arts in isolation. And you can see the, the virtual tour there. In terms of the exhibition itself, uh, if you could just tell us perhaps a little bit more about it, Sarah, it's what? It's representing uh, the contemporary black experience, black bodies, bl- black lives, but also fusing culture and fashion. Yeah, that's right. So a lot of the um, so it's come from um, from New York City, so it's quite got quite a, an American lens to it, uh, and it's a lot of the artists featured in the exhibition um, are fashion photographers or photographers of. Um, whose work has been featured in fashion magazines. So there is quite a fashion lens to it, but it means that the photographs are really joyful um, and exciting uh, and there's this beautiful energy to the photographs. So it definitely feels like something that we need now to be looking at um, in this time when, you know, things things aren't things aren't so amazing. There's definitely, you know, um, opportunities to look for, um, you know, really joyful content. So the New Black Vanguard photography between art and fashion definitely provides that. Um, but, yeah, as you say, um, yeah, it's looking at, um, blackness and representation of um, blackness uh, through photography, particularly the merging worlds of art and fashion. Now, speaking of joyful activities, uh, at the moment, uh, I'm sure a lot of parents are looking for activities to keep their children entertained and engaged. Uh, even during so-called official school hours with uh, uh, everybody homeschooling at the moment. Uh, I know that uh, the children's show, The Gruffalo's Child, unfortunately had to be cancelled back in March. It Mm. seems like forever ago, but uh, that endless March that we were all living through. But uh, despite that cancellation, they've nonetheless been able to put a recorded video performance of an earlier production up online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think um, I think the Gruffalo's Child actually had bumped in and we're ready to perform uh, right when we had to close the doors to the building. So the cast and crew have, were amazing in that they um, offered us the opportunity to film one of their songs from the show uh, and also do some um, interviews with the cast and behind-the-scenes footage as well that um, family members, uh, family can enjoy together. So there's beautiful um, there's footage of uh, Stick With Me, one of the songs from the Gruffalo's Child up online at the moment uh, and also a great interview with a cast member as well and I think there's a few more little bits and pieces from Gruffalo's Child that are going to be coming trickling through in the coming weeks as well. So there's definitely lots and lots of beautiful content um, for children and families um, during this time, as you say, during formal schooling hours, but also on the weekends to enjoy as well. And you're also presenting a series of fortnightly art workshops online. Uh, So looking at, uh, I think the first one is looking at uh, craft at home using recycled materials, junk and, and how to transform something that may be discarded into something more creative. 
Yeah, so uh, this is something that's very close to my heart. Uh, so making and actually uh, encouraging community members to make art. Um, you know, we've got a really fantastic community of um, artists down in Casey uh, who are very active in this realm, but also encouraging um, other adults in particular to, to get out there and uh, to be making themselves. So when uh, we had to close the doors, um, we had to think about ways that we could transform our um, our workshop program for adults into a digital context. So now we're offering our fortnightly Wednesday workshops uh, where we're working with um, a variety of artists who have run workshops for us in the past um, who are coming back and presenting uh, video workshops. So as you say, the first one went up last week, I think, and um, it features uh, the beautiful Minna Gilligan presenting a workshop on how to use all the junk mail that you've got lying around your house and bits of wrapping paper and different paper ephemera that you've got lying around your house how to turn it into a fantastic collage. Um, and as someone who personally uh, participated in that workshop and also made my partner enjoy it as well, um, it was so much fun. It's such a fantastic workshop that Min has put together. Um, and just the workshops themselves, you know, they're such a great way for us to be able to um, keep supporting our um, artists within the community and, you know, other Melbourne-based artists. Um, support them through this tough time when a lot of them have lost their gigs as well. So we're um, very fortunate that we're in a position to be able to keep supporting them uh, through giving them a bit more work, um, making workshops and Q&As and things like that. And Sarah, if people want to access those workshops, are they on your YouTube channel, for example, or are they on the main Bundle Place website? Yeah, so if you go to the main Bundle Place website, so as you said before, www.bundleplace.com au forward slash arts in isolation. Uh, you'll find the um, Minna's workshop video is up there already and then next Wednesday we'll have our next workshop video going up. Uh, and each fortnight after that, there'll be another, another workshop video going up. Um, we're doing videos both for adults and for kids as well. So um, for parents who are looking for something um, for kids to, to to view during those schooling hours when they, um, you know, perhaps need some additional content, um, we'll have some beautiful um, videos going up as well um, in the next couple of weeks. Bundle Place is located out in Narrow Warren. It is, of course, currently closed like venues across the country as uh, the entire arts community and the community at large kind of... Uh, mobilise and activate to spread uh, to stop the spread of COVID-19. But as we've heard from Sarah Lyons, the Senior Education and Audience Engagement Officer at Bundle Place, there's a range of activities and, and events online that you can participate in. So the uh, the new Black Vanguard photography between art and fashion, the virtual tour of that is available uh, and much, much more. So www.bundleplace.com.au uh, forward slash arts in isolation and you can see the videos and interviews and show excerpts and virtual tours uh, with more information and uh, detail to be added over the coming weeks. Sarah, thank you so much for speaking to us. It sounds, as I said, it sounds like you've all been very, very busy and I look forward to seeing more kind of uh, videos and more workshops and more engagement rolled out over the coming weeks. Thank you so much, Richard. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Thanks so much for being here. It means a lot. 
Now, if you were listening to the program the other week, you may have heard a conversation that I had with Nicole Bayer from Theatre Network Australia, one of the peak bodies in the art sector, talking about the impact on a range of arts organisations around the country who have lost their four-year organisational funding from the Australia Council uh, to... Put a, add a personal touch to that. One of those organisations is La Mama Theatre, where I'm the chair. And to put it into context, that loss of organisational funding represents approximately 50% of La Mama's income for the next four years. Now, one group of organisations that have also lost their funding, organisations which are key to the visual arts sector, are a group of visual arts magazines, Eyeline, Artlink and Art Monthly Australasia. I'm joined on the line now by Michael Fitzgerald, the editor of Art Monthly Australasia, to kind of put this into context for us. Michael, to lose your uh, Australia Council funding, what kind of impact does that have on future plans to grow and develop and publish future editions of Art Monthly Australasia? Oh, hi, Richard. Thank you for the opportunity to be here um, and to talk through some of these issues. They're very complex, but um, it's obviously been a pretty um, devastating week or two for art, art publications right across the board, actually, not only us, but for the visual arts publications and pretty much all of the literary magazines as well. So I think for us um, in particular, you know, I can speak about our impacts for us. It means um, probably a similar figure to La Mama in terms of our, um, in terms of our income. Uh, we have also received a smaller amount of VAX funding, which is sort of national priority um, funding that also comes through. But it's, it's, it's really 30% of what we would normally expect um, in terms of recurrent funding. So it means basically we're having to do what we've always done, which is to be creative, entrepreneurial and um, pulling rabbits out of the hat, really. Um, we have to start looking for new partners, uh, look at re, um, reshaping our print schedule, we need to kind of be. We basically need to re remake our, ourselves in these um, in these difficult times. But it's it's one um, also that we you know that there's no going back at this point. There's no no recourse for appeal or what have you. So you just have to work with what you have. Um, but the good thing is, I guess, um, in terms of all publications, we're in the same boat. Um, so there is a sense that we can work collegially as well um, to see if there even are possible partnerships across publications. But yes, it is an, a new era and it's terrifying, but also in a weird way exciting um, for us. Now, to ask you a devil's advocate question, I'm sure some people will be thinking, well, if a magazine can't support itself financially through its own uh, profits, through its uh, advertising, through the sales of the magazine itself, why should it uh, deserve to get funding? Why does it need to be supported if it can't stand on its own two feet? What's your response to that kind of devil's advocate question? Yeah, no, it's a very good question, actually. Well, in terms of Art Monthly, we've been around for about 33 years um, and for most of that time, we have received um, government funding. Where, because of the visual arts, we're not a, um, and we we reflect the the sector that we we write and um, report on. Um, we're not a commercial entity. We do um, obviously uh, have have revenues from advertising and sales, 
Um, but in terms of the critical dialogue that we generate through the publication, it's not something, it's not something that um, you know pays for itself um, ordinarily. And also because the visual arts sector is 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 is, is quite, um, dare we say, um, impoverished um, normally. So so in terms of um, government support, it's always been um, foundational to what we do. So. And so it's it's very interesting to seeing why a whole group of us have been um, have been withdrawn from government funding, and to see maybe um, you know that there were some excellent peers that that also adjudicated on this decision. But you know the feedback we get is that there simply was not enough money to go around uh, because of previous government funding cuts to the Australia Council, and um, it's not reassuring news to get, and also. Um, you know, as Peter Rose from the Australian Book Review said, you know, it's just a radical, I think he described it as a radical overlooking by the Australian Council. Um, and it really, I guess because the performing arts have been traditionally a bit more vocal and, and allowed a presence within the um, arts ecology, I think publications by their very nature have been quiet. And I think, um, you know, maybe it has been, maybe it's a lesson in terms of us having to really step up and argue our, argue our case and our existence because nothing is a given anymore. And certainly the case, uh, from my perspective, is a clear and obvious one. The uh, Art Monthly Australasia, which you edit uh, together with iLine and Artlink, provide critical documentation of the visual arts ecology in Australia. So, uh, mm. to, uh, and that documentation is incredibly important because while um, the visual arts aren't as ephemeral an art form as others, exhibitions by their very nature are transient. Uh, and so mm. to have an archival record of, the, including interviews with artists, uh, documentation and uh, representation of exhibitions to, to kind of provide a, an overview of the visual art sector in printed form in a way that is accessible to people on the other side of the country who may never be able to attend an exhibition that you may be writing about, for example. These magazines and your magazine clearly serve a, a, a vital and necessary role, a key part of the arts ecology, uh, and that is a, an aspect of the ecology that the Australia Council can no longer support. Well, I think what you've said is absolutely crucial. We provide that context. Um, you know, there's, uh, we provide that critical um, context for, um, for art presenters and artists around the country, and without that, they're working in a vacuum. And so, um, you know, it's, it's really hard to justify how you um, can fund some organisations and not others and not to give a holistic, um, a holistic support for... Um, you know the arts ecology because it's it's sort of in my in, I, I I can see um, there's no there's no there's no rational explanation for this withdrawal of funding and um, and I think everyone will be impoverished um, artists art presenters um, they can't, cannot work in a vacuum as I said and um, and it, it it's really quite baffling and. Um, and it, it, it's um, in one sense we're 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 reasonably lucky because we're based at the ANU in Canberra and we have a roof over our heads and we have some recurrent funding, but you know in terms of the of what we can generate, um, 
unless you know partners step in, you know that that will obviously impact on on, on what we can, how we can provide some of that critical overview. And um, you know, Eyeline and Artlink too, I, I guess, are, are scratching their heads to see how how we can go forward at this time. You know, if history has uh, history has been kind to all of us. We've we've been sort of thirty three years in in, in um, publishing, but um, bushfires, hailstorms, coronavirus. We're still nimble and agile, but uh, there are limits, I guess. That's absolutely the case. Now, in terms of what the next uh, I don't know twelve to eighteen months look like for art monthly Australasia. Does the loss of funding, for example, mean uh, a reduction in uh, publication uh, or a shrinking of your uh, kind of your print run, for example? What kind of direct impact will this have on how Art Monthly Australasia uh, publishes editions moving forward? Well, yeah, I've been in discussions with our board. We're, we're run by... Um by a national board of scholars and historians, and, and we've been in dialogue over the last few weeks as we've been absorbing this, this news. And so we're... Um, but we also realise that at the moment it's kind of critical uh, for a magazine like us and the other magazines as well to be providing, you know, in this sort of COVID-19 vacuum that we're facing, uh, where galleries are, um, are not open, um, that we, we are needed more than ever, but we um, are faced with that dilemma of, of well, our funding really, we get some trans, transitional funding through to next year, um, but uh, we have to also be mindful of our sustainability longer term. So we are looking at reducing our print run for the rest of the year. We're, we're currently looking at doing um, a winter, spring and summer bumper issue for each uh, instead of doing a monthly edition, but even that is quite a big commitment. Um, but it also, um, you know, it's it, it's it's very important that we um, do our very best to serve the sector that we you know we reflect on and um, and support um, going forward. So that that's pretty much our plan. We think that's sustainable. And then obviously from next year, um, you know, if we can bring other partners on board, we'll we'll. Um, looking at what we can do in terms of a, a regular schedule for next year as well. If you'd like more information about Art Monthly Australasia, jump online, www.artmonthly.org.au. Uh, running across the top of the page, you'll see a range of tabs. One of them is subscribe. So if you want to subscribe to the magazine and have it delivered eight times a year, uh, a valuable documentation of Australia's visual arts sector. I've been chatting with Michael Fitzgerald, the editor of Art Monthly Australasia. Michael, thank you for your time and please do keep us in the loop about uh, the future of Art Monthly and indeed uh, the rest of the visual art magazines in your sector as well. Fingers crossed that all of you kind of uh, power forward. It's a, the, the loss of funding is clearly a challenge for many organisations, 40 organiza 49 organisations across the country uh, in a range of different uh, sectors, visual arts, performance, youth arts and more. But uh, hopefully we will come out of it uh, bowed but unscathed. Michael, thank you for your time. Thank you, Richard. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. <laughs>